0: and welcome to the Fertility Warriors podcast. My name is Robin Birkin and I'm the author of the blog Modern Day Misses where you can find uh, a whole bunch of fertility articles and helpful things and I'm also the author of Screw Infertility. If you've been listening for a while you probably know that. What you might not have known is that you can now purchase it via my website and you can now get it on iTunes so I'm a bit excited about that Um, and you can obviously get it on Amazon as well so If you'd like to read a little bit about my journey with fertility uh, and some of the things that really helped me survive this journey, then definitely get your hands on that book. It's only um, about $9.95 Australian dollars, so it's not going to break the bank. Today, I wanted to talk to you, though, about ovulation, and I've got eight things you need to know about ovulation. Um, Tracking your ovulation is bloody hard, isn't it? Um, But there's so many things that we need to know, and I actually find the science of all of this just really fascinating. Uh, But I thought I would tell you eight things you need to know about ovulation, which is eight things that I've learned that I think are crazy uh, interesting, but also really vital for if you um, are not yet yet at a fertility clinic uh, and are tracking your own ovulation and things like that yourself. So, I guess the first thing uh, that you need to know about ovulation is exactly how it works, what's going on, what are all these terms about. So, I'm going to break it down for you right now. You have basically four hormones in your body that um, I guess control ovulation. So, two of those, and that, all those hormones, your sex hormones, they kind of call them the, like the endocrine uh, area. And so, you have two hormones that are controlled by your brain, uh, and they're in your pituitary gland. Those are FSH, which stands for follicle stimulating hormone, uh, and LH. Um, So, your follicle stimulating hormone um, gets your follicles to grow. So, every month in an ideal cycle, you have your two ovaries. Uh, and you actually, you know how they say that women are born with, you know, like millions of eggs, and you're like, well, I don't have a million periods. But what actually happens is every month, um, your ovary like develop a, a number of little follicles. So a follicle is kind of like what happens before the egg. Uh, so it's kind of like a water-filled little sac thing. Uh, and then what happens each month uh, is that your follicles mature so they get bigger and develop, uh, and then you, ideally one of them is released, and that's the egg. Um, it breaks out of its little, like, water thing, I think, and then um, obviously things progress from there. Um, but so you have FSH, which is follicle stimulating hormone. So that stimulates those follicles um, to grow, uh, and that's controlled by your brain. And you then have another one called uh, LH, which is luteinizing hormone. Uh, And what happens is just before you ovulate, you have a surge uh, in both FSH and LH. Um, And basically, your cycle is broken up into two uh, sections. The first half of your cycle before ovulation is called the follicular phase. The second half of your cycle is called the luteal phase um, so the luteinizing hormone the surge in that is what sparks the ovulation so luteinizing hormone gets your um, like your eggs ready and then the LH says yeah let's like do it let's release that that um, that big follicle that's now an egg so that's what happens there that's controlled by your brain then you have. Um, the hormones that are controlled by your ovaries. And we all know about these two. It's estrogen and progesterone. So the estrogen uh, is what helps thicken your uterine lining. Um, And for the best part of your cycle, um, it stops your brain from um, surging the LH and um, the FSH because you don't want that to happen too early. You don't want to like release your egg before the egg's ready and big enough and things like that. Uh, but then, when your body thinks that it's ready, then um, it will allow that, like, it will allow the FSH and LH to increase. Then you have progesterone. So, progesterone is kind of the one that's really important after your cycle. And that's what helps thicken your uterine lining. So, you need a beautiful, cushy, um, nice uterine lining for that egg uh, to the, or that embryo to implant in. Um, and it, the progesterone also um, inhibits the LH and the FSH as well. But basically, what you need to know is that the follicles um, and all that kind of stuff is the FSH and LH, and that's what causes the ovulation. The estrogen makes sure. Um, you know, that, like, that everything's ready for ovulation uh, and the progesterone is what's really essential for pregnancy. So basically, you can imagine that um, at the beginning of your cycle, everything is kind of like at a zero level, like a baseline level, right? So you have your period uh, and you go from there and then your estrogen levels start to slowly, slowly, slowly increase. Uh, but then just before you ovulate, your LH and FSH have a big surge and then start going down, and your estrogen will start gradually going down as well. And then at that time, so which is after you ovulate, your progesterone starts to increase. If you're pregnant, your progesterone will keep increasing. If you're not, it will go down. So that's kind of like what happens in a cycle uh, of your period, and that's number one. So I think a little bit of an understanding of exactly what's going on inside your body Uh, is a really good start for things you need to know about your ovulation. The next thing that I wanted to let you know, um, and we have so many women in our Fertility Warriors uh, Facebook group with PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian uh, syndrome. Uh, And sometimes people are like, how do I know? I don't know if I ovulated or not. Did I ovulate, didn't I? The next thing that I wanted to let you know is, if you had a period, then you pretty much definitely ovulated. Um, From what I know is that if you've had a period, then you've definitely ovulated. Sometimes women with PCOS, uh, which means that you've got like all these little cysts in your ovaries um, that are like causing havoc inside. Um, But when you have PCOS, it's almost like your body is trying and trying and trying to ovulate. So it might have several almost like attempts at ovulating. uh, And then If you've got a period, it means essentially, though, that the last time that it tried to ovulate was the successful time that you actually did ovulate. Um, So that was the next thing that I just wanted to let you know. If you get a period, you can safely say that you did ovulate at some point that month. Sometimes Some people's ovulation window is really short. Some people's ovulation window is quite long. The next thing that I wanted to let you know, though, is that your both phases of your period um, so remember i said before you ovulate is the follicular phase and after you ovulate is the luteal phase each of those periods should be 11 days long uh, at least so you know they say a 28 day cycle so that would mean 14 days each side but really each of those should be about 14 days and there should really be um like there should really be a minimum of 11 days, especially for your luteal phase Uh, because it's really important if you just think about all of these things that are happening, you know, before you ovulate, you've got the follicles, they're trying to grow, they're trying to mature and things like that. If things happen too soon, they're not ready. And then if you then, you know, like if your body kind of calls it quits too early, then how do you know that the eggs had time to properly implant? And it takes, like it sounds like, you know, The egg is released, then they, you know, gets together with the sperm and plops into the uterus. It really actually takes a couple of days. Like this travels over here, then this happens, um, and then it floats around and, you know, turns into a blastocyst when it's multiplied enough cells. Um, So it actually takes quite a long time to get to that point. So, really, if um, your follicular phase or especially your luteal phase is shorter. Than 11 days, and that's really an indication that you might need a little bit of help uh, somewhere along the lines. And you know that I'm a big advocate uh, of either or both acupuncture or seeing a naturopath um, to help uh, you work through those things. The next one that I wanted to talk about, number four, is one of the things that I think is really important and one of the things that I think lots of people get wrong. And number four and number five are kind of related. Uh, So what I wanted to let you know, the first thing is, you know, so many of us track our basal body temperature, but the number one thing I wanted to tell you is that tracking your basal body temperature is retrospective. So what happens when you check your basal body temperature is that every morning at the same time of day, you should check your temperature. Now, basal means, I think, like, means resting. So it should be your resting temperature. It should be, you know, without much movement, basically as soon as you wake up, before you get out of bed and laying in the bed. And, you know, like, you need to make allowances for, like, under the arm is a bit different from under the tongue and things like that. Um, So you always want to do it at the same time. And I clearly remember when I was doing this, And I would lay in the bed and I would try for 10 minutes not to open my mouth because I didn't want like all of the hot air or whatever to escape. So I'd wait 10 minutes, then I'd put the thermometer in, I'd wait 10 minutes with my mouth closed while I was resting and then I would check my basal body temperature. So, I mean, it can be quite an accurate thing and then what's supposed to happen is after you ovulate, you're supposed to have a consistent rise in temperature. Let me tell you all, because I've been there and I've done that, it's not that easy, is it? It really isn't. And it takes quite a few months. I'm pretty sure that after four days, or four, days <laughs> four months of tracking my basal body temperature, I could predict that more or less I ovulate on day 13. Not every cycle that you have will be exactly the same. You will not always ovulate on day 13 or day 14 or whatever you uh, think that you normally ovulate. It will not always be the same every month um, and I think that's quite a normal thing. But if you're tracking your basal body temperature and you wait for the temperature to increase and then you have sex, lady, you're left it too late because it's che- that's only going to tell you after you've ovulated. Yeah. Um, so number five, and then I'll talk a little bit more about tracking your cycle, is that The calendar method or whatever you call it, the rhythm method, just saying, like I said that, uh, you know, I usually ovulate on day 13. There's so many, and that was after tracking, but there's so many people who don't bother checking any symptoms or doing any other tests, but just say, day 14, let's have sex because the average is day 28. Most people ovulate day 14, which actually isn't true. We are all so different. Um and they just have sex on day 14 so that's kind of setting yourself up for failure you need to have some kind of way of checking or testing or doing something like that but just uh, saying day 14 as a predictor is not uh, an accurate method so there's lots of different ways that you can check your ovulation Uh, and i'm a big advocate of checking your cervical mucus so it may seem like why the hell would i do this but Cervical mucus is, I think, once you get the hang of it, it can be a lot easier than your basal body temperature. It happens like as as you are ovulating, so it gives you a bit of an indication and a bit of time to work things out. Um, And it can be really accurate, and it can also, you know, I guess, give you a bit of an insight into your body as well. And they say that um, your fertility—I mean, everyone thinks of fertility and making babies. And let's be honest, most of the people who are out here listening are here because we want to make a freaking baby. Uh, but they say that uh, your fertility is such a good indicator of your overall health. And if you've listened to my Fertility and Cancer podcast, I mentioned that um, your uh, the fertility of your body is basically a non-essential system for life. So, of course, your body will protect you know things like your heart and stuff like that first. So, if there is something not right with your fertility, it can be an indicator that there's something not right with your health. I was listening to another podcast the other day, which is actually a great podcast, and I'm happy to give a shout out to Fertility Friday uh, because I thought it was wonderful. But one of the specialists on that episode said something like, "It you know if you, if there's something wrong with your fertility, it's a sign that." I don't know that there's something majorly wrong with your health, and I kind of thought, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that because I felt like almost that kind of implied a bit of blame uh, on us, and sometimes it's not our fault, and sometimes I think that you know, them. I mean, I think we all know that if there's something wrong with our fertility, then yes, there is something not a hundred percent right, but that sometimes it's things that we can't always. Uh, control or fix and sometimes the medicine isn't there so if you have a genetic abnormality or if you were born with uh, a disability or something like that or if you've had cancer and that's affected your fertility then I'm a bit like mate there's some things are kind of out of our control and I definitely advocate doing everything in your control uh, to um, positively impact your fertility Uh, and that's what I'm all about is about helping you guys um, get pregnant sooner help you manage uh, this whole process um, but I thought that was a really important thing to say that yes your, your fertility is a very good indicator of your overall health um, sometimes we know that things are not optimal in our body and sometimes there's things we can do about it and sometimes there's things that we can't but I don't think that we're necessarily to blame um, and sometimes it could be you know like dietary things But how are we supposed to know Um, that something's not agreeing with our body and we're not as a society well enough educated to know those things anyway a bit of a tangent bit of a rant over Um, but so cervical mucus so when you're tracking your cycle with cervical mucus basically at the beginning of your cycle which is when you're we've got your period there shouldn't really be any mucus and then what happens is um, after that time you should have like five days or so when it starts getting like really wet and sticky and they talk about raw egg whites that it's kind of that slippery kind of gooey stuff and that's kind of a signal that hey your body's getting ready to ovulate uh, so that's a really good um, indication that you're going to ovulate and a really interesting fact is that a cervical mucus is really important now what it does is it um, if you had a microscope, and you saw the sperm. You would see that your cervical mucus has created like 200 to 300 little channels that zoom, helps zoom the sperm up into the uterus. How fascinating is that? So, um, your cervical mucus plays a really important part. But then, what happens is just after you ovulate, it starts to go kind of really sticky and tacky and drier, um, and that's because um, your body's now like ovulation's over this party's closed no thanks Uh, so that's kind of an indication that maybe you have already ovulated Uh, and then it starts to dry up again and actually uh, when it dries up that's kind of because you've got this mucus plug like higher up in your cervix almost like blocking it being like a bit like okay shop's closed for now but the cervical mucus helps when it's in that fertile phase can help um your um your the sperm to survive while they're waiting for the egg Um, so that's tracking with your cervical mucus and obviously um i think it's really important that to check you know your basal body temperature and your cervical mucus and maybe like breast tenderness and uh, moods and things like that as well so if you go onto my website i've actually got a free little template that you can use to track your temperature uh, and to track your cervical mucus. Um, And I think that's a really good way. And it's just, even if, you know, you don't want to continue tracking that way, I think it's a really good way to sort of get in tune with your body as well. Uh, And even after this fertility journey, it can just give you a good indication uh, of, you know, what's going on with your cycle and things like that. Um, So there's a few other ways That you can check because if it's all too much and at a certain point for me it got it was a bit like okay I'm done with laying in bed for this long every day there's a few things that you can do and because sometimes when we look at those charts as well they bloody look all over the place Um, so you can still do your basal body temperature but with a monitor Um, so I've actually been able to get a discount code for some monitors uh, so I'll put those in the show notes to this podcast. If you go to moderndaymissus.com and missus is M-I-S-S-U-S like wife um, and check the podcast notes for this podcast, then I'll include the discount code uh, and the links to that. But you can get these little monitors. There's like a lady comp one and a daisy one. Um, and so it's essentially it's like a thermometer but it has. But you also put in like what days you're menstruating, uh, and then what it does is it has kind of colours to show, yep, fertile phase, not fertile phase, or I think green means I'm still trying to calculate. And it even has a little app that you can plug stuff into that you can get for Android or Apple as well. Um, so there are some things that you can use rather than having to try and interpret your basal body temperature results yourself. You can. Uh, buy things that kind of help explain it a bit better to you well much better they'll say fertile or not fertile (laughs) have sex or don't have sex Um, there's other ones that you can get which uh, there are ones that test your saliva uh, and that is based on the concept that the amount of salt in your body increases when you are about to ovulate so what happens is you put the saliva on the thing and then you have a look at the saliva and basically when it dries, the salt crystals on that have two one of two shapes. So it either looks like a fern, which means you're ovulating, or it looks like just pebbles or something like that, which means that you're not. Um, so those that's one test, another different way to test. Um, and then there's other ones that are uh, hormonal tests. So um, that's the ones where you pee on a stick and you can get cheap sticks to pee on from Amazon and from eBay uh, if you want to do that Uh, and what they typically will track is like the surge in luteinizing hormone uh, and sometimes estrogen as well Uh, and they can tell you you know sort of where you're at with your ovulation from that perspective you might want to try you know like a range of different methods that's really up to you and just find something that works and gives you a better idea but I do definitely advocate uh, doing it manually a little bit first, and then if that um, gets too much, then definitely you know start looking at those other methods of testing your ovulation. And if you're going you know along the lines of um, my other um, points is where i said that you know like not every woman is on day 28. If you go to see your doctor or OBGYN or fertility specialist, And they just kind of go, okay, yep, I'll test you on day 14 and day 21. That's bullshit because how do you know that you're ovulating on those days? So what you really need to do, a good fertility clinic or doctor will test you at the beginning of the cycle to check that your figures are baseline. Then they will start testing you uh, in all of the days leading up to ovulation. And they could start as early as like day 8 or day 9 to start testing that. And then they will test all of the different hormones. What's happening with the estrogen? What's happening with the LH? What's going on here? And then they will um, check, you know, sort of when you're ovulating. And then they will, um, after you've ovulated, because what if you only ovulate uh, like on day 18 or something and they've just tested you on day 14 and day 21? So anyway, they need to keep testing and, you know, and find out you need to keep going back for tests until they've determined that you have ovulated and then you go back later to check um, that your progesterone is doing what it should be doing at the right time because if they test that too early it might not might look really low but it might uh, not look right so anyway that's what needs to happen there so the next thing you'll notice when i was talking just before that i said that your cervical mucus has all these channels and allows the sperm uh, to just hang back for a while if it's waiting for the egg to be released. And that is because your sperm can last or on average last for five to six days. So your sperm, you can have sex before you ovulate. Your sperm will go there. Your sperm will hang out. and your, But your egg, once your egg is released, it only really lasts for 24 hours. And in actual fact, I think even less time than that is when it's actually available for fertilization Uh, so I always think better to have sex a little bit before ovulation and then keep having sex um, rather than just waiting 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 until you ovulate because the egg just goes really really quickly so your egg lasts for 24 hours or if not less uh, and your sperm can last for three to five days sometimes even more Uh, The next thing that I think you need to know about ovulation is that there are so many different things that need to go right to enable a pregnancy. It actually fascinates me sometimes that there aren't more people uh, who struggle to have children because there are so many things that can impact our fertility uh, and things like that. Um, Gut health is one of them. So if you are eating some of the wrong foods and typically uh, one of the reasons why in the fertility diet they recommend cutting out gluten and dairy is because those foods often have an inflammatory effect on our gut um, and why am I talking about the gut well um, your gut is responsible for the health uh, of has about 80 percent of your immune system in it it has a your Gut is really responsible for so many things, and that's why they call it sort of the second brain. And if your gut is in a really inflammatory state, then that can send messages up to your brain. And we said, you know, in our anterior pituitary gland is where our FSH and LH are controlled. Uh, It just sends signals to be like, no, sorry. And so it starts messing about with your hormones if you don't have good gut health Um, so you really need to be looking at doing the right thing uh, in that respect Um, there are lots of women who have things like hypothalamic amenorrhea if that is you i can definitely recommend a program by the holistic nutritionist Um, and that's for a number of reasons that could be uh, from excess exercise um, from not weighing enough, from all sorts of things. You could have uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome uh, and the exact cause of that is actually unknown but there does seem to be a big link uh, between PCOS and women who have trouble with insulin. Um, So that's where, you know, like a lot of these things I'm talking about, diet can play a big part Uh, and likewise stress. And you can tell me to go screw myself because, um, of talking about stress, and we all hate people who are like, oh, well, maybe if you went on a holiday, you'd fall pregnant. Maybe if you stopped trying and stopped stressing about it all, then you'd fall pregnant. Most people can go jam it up their ass. However, because, yep, I my philosophy is that infertility causes stress. Stress doesn't cause infertility, but once you are infertile and there is that stress in your body, then I do think that you can most definitely improve your outcomes by managing your stress and stress can affect our hormones and things like that. So I do think that stress plays a part. I don't think that if you took a holiday, then all your problems would be solved, I'm afraid. Um, But there are so many things that can go wrong in our cycles and do go wrong. Autoimmune conditions that I've got, I don't know what's going on with me, but something is not right in my immune system All sorts of things can happen Um, and all sorts of things need to go right in a cycle. So if you think about um, all of the things that need to happen, so your husband needs to develop the sperm and the sperm are the smallest um, basically cell in the body. So if you think of the DNA having to be packed and packed and packed and packed into that tiny little thing, there are so many things that can go wrong uh with that then you need to have enough they need to be uh formed correctly, the DNA needs to be packed in correctly, they need to swim and they need to swim in the right direction and they need to not swim too slowly. Then they need to you need to be developing enough follicles. Then you need to have one that matures really nicely. Then it needs to be released and it needs to travel nicely. Like in your fallopian tubes you've got all these kind of like villi so little think i think of them like anemone in the ocean that kind of help that egg travel along so you want to have you know everything helping it travel along you want your cervical mucus to help zip that sperm into the uterus um and then um you know you want them to be able to get together you want them to be able to grow then you want them to be able to implant and then stay there there's so many things that need to happen right that definitely there's so many um Reasons why things can go wrong. So, the reason why I'm saying that is because it's not. There's not always a one, um, one fix answer. IVF, IVF cuts out a lot of the process. So that's you know one of the reasons why so many of us go into IVF. But it a, it doesn't really solve any problems. It's just sort of a treatment which. I find that's why I'm such a big advocate of acupuncture and naturopathy is because often what they do is try to treat the cause, um, which if there's something not right in your body, then, you know, definitely they can um, and they they help correct that, then there's definitely room for you to feel a lot better in terms of your overall general health and long-term health. Um, But there's not always like a one-fix-all answer us and you don't know you can't always tell exactly what um, the cause is and that's one of the reasons why they do or they should do so much testing um but on that note and this is my final point which is number eight um is about clomid and it's kind of along the same idea that a lot of doctors and specialists just go you say i'm having fertility problems they go have some clomid And I'm a bit like, no, 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 let's do some testing. Let's find out what's wrong because Clomid doesn't help everyone. Uh, So what Clomid actually does is, remember I talked about um, your estrogen is uh, developed in your ovaries uh, and your estrogen is what uh, inhibits the FSH and the LH in your cycle. Well, what Clomid does is it blocks the estrogen receptors in your brain. Uh, And so your brain then starts um, developing more LH and FSH in order to uh, stimulate your follicles and get your follicles to be released, which is why so many people with Clomid have like multiple eggs and things like that because there's not really that um, estrogen kind of controlling how many eggs and making sure and stuff like that. But there's so many, as i said just before, there's so many sort of areas where things can go wrong that Clomid is not going to help everyone. So there's some people who don't ovulate. Again, they're not treating the cause of that. They're treating the symptoms uh, of that. But uh, Clomid can help women who aren't ovulating or it can help regulate uh, the cycle of women who aren't ovulating. But, you know, if you have poor quality eggs, or if you have hostile cervical mucus, so if your cervical mucus is actually like attacking your the sperm rather than helping them up there with those channels, then that's not really going to help that. If you have problems with fertilization, or heaven forbid, if the man actually has some problems, which is about 50% of fertility problems, then it's not really going to help you with that. And even women um, with PCOS, which there are many women with PCOS who don't ovulate, um, about 30% of women with PCOS are resistant to Clomid, uh, particularly women with a high BMI, which is a body mass index uh, of over 25, are particularly, uh, well, more often resistant to Clomid. So if your doctor just willy-nilly prescribes Clomid, then I would definitely recommend um, going back and asking for tests or going to see somebody else and asking for tests or going to see Uh, a profession that is interested in getting to the bottom of the why and then helping you fix the why. Um, Because I don't think Clomid is always um, like a one-stop shop of answers. I know it's cheaper uh, than doing IVF and things like that. And I know that we're all broadcast mofos uh, when we're doing IVF cycles and things like that. But if you just kept doing Clomid after Clomid after Clomid cycle uh, and things like that, Time is ticking, uh, so you really, I'm you know, I'm really a big uh, advocate of sometimes investing in uh, a little bit here and there to help improve your chances so that you can get pregnant quicker. You don't have to go through months and months of heartache uh, and agony, and um, certainly, you know, if you're doing IVF, you really want to be able to do it once or twice, you don't want to be going back for your 100th IVF cycle. when things aren't working and sometimes as I've said before it's not our fault that things are wrong Um, and some of us will need you know multiple cycles and things like that but where we can let's try and make sure that we are falling pregnant as soon as possible and as easily as possible Uh, because uh, pretty much everyone who is listening to this podcast probably needs a little bit of help here and there but those are eight things you need to know about ovulation, and that was some, you know, a few things that I've learned along the way on my journey that I think would be helpful. Please let me know if you um, could leave a review on iTunes, I'd be ever so grateful. Um, but also, let me know in the group if you learned anything on that session. I find all of this stuff really fascinating, so I hope that you have too. Stay tuned for my next episode, which I'll actually be releasing next week. Um, because I've skipped a week this week, so I'm catching up. And that is with a lady called Zara uh, Haji. She is the yoga goddess. Um, And she's going to talk to me a little bit about mind-body programs. And we all know, and I've said it before, that um, engaging in mind-body programs uh, has been shown to have a positive result on the outcomes of IVF cycles. So I definitely think that that uh, listening to and just the way that she talks, uh, things like that. It just had me all excited, and it was, just sounded like such a beautiful way to treat our bodies and to treat ourselves uh, and things like that. So, stay tuned for the next episode, and I'll catch you later. Bye bye.